our scripture reading, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I'll begin reading at verse 22 to chapter 6, verse 4. In your pew Bible, that can be found on page 1162. This evening, I want to focus on verse 31, uh, but I do want to read this section here, beginning at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, <clears throat> and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Father in heaven, we pray that you would remind us once again of your will for our lives, as it relates to marriage. May you remind us once again of your blueprint for the family, how you've ordained the way the family is structured and the roles appointed to each one in the family and how each one of us is called to fulfill our callings. Help us, O oh Lord, give us wisdom and discernment as we hear the preaching of your word. And so, indeed, breathe on us, breath of God, and teach us your ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You've taken premarital counseling with me. This is the verse that we labor with throughout the entire sessions that we work through. Leave, cleave, 
becoming one flesh. And so in these premarital sessions, we unpack what that means. And I want to unpack it for us this evening. This verse is found before the fall in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And so there's the pre-fall blueprint for marriage and what that looks like. And it hasn't changed post-fall. It's the same. First, we have it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Then it's referenced a couple times in the New Testament. Jesus references Genesis 2, verse 24 in Matthew chapter 9 and in Mark 10. Most likely the same um, context when the Pharisees approached him about whether it was permissible to get divorced and why Moses gave a certificate of divorce. And Jesus respond, responded this way, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer one, or no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They are no longer two, but one. Jesus goes back to creation and the creation mandate. First things first. From the beginning, marriage was instituted by God himself. This proclamation, verse 31 Genesis 2, verse 24, is the grounds by which Paul builds his whole argument. His whole argument hinges upon this verse and then its subsequent development in the course of redemptive history, finding its, its symbolization in Christ and his bride, the church. The proclamation here forbids polygamy. It forbids promiscuity. It forbids divorce with the exception of adultery as Jesus teaches. Divorce is not the divine will of God. This is not what he has planned. But as Jesus says, it's because of the hardness of, of hearts that Moses gave a certificate of divorce. And Jesus talks about the exception being adultery. At Ephesians verse 5, chapter 5, verse 31, Paul is grounding his whole argument. A God-honoring and God-glorifying God marriage is grounded in God's design for marriage, which is revealed in his word. Leave, cleave, Become one flesh. That's God's design. That's a great mystery. Marriage is truly a profound mystery. When we see what it truly points to, what it truly symbolizes, namely Christ and his marriage to his bride, the church. This morning, let's unpack leaving, cleaving, and becoming one flesh. What does it mean? We want to look at what it means 
and what it means practically. What does it mean practically to leave, cleave, and become one flesh? And so let's look at the first part. The man leaves father and mother. He doesn't say, God's word doesn't say the woman leaves father and mother, although she does. But the man shall leave father and mother. The man leaves his parents to establish a new home as head of the home. As head of his wife, as head of the children. And so what does it mean for the man to leave father and mother? And we can say, what does it mean for a woman to leave father and mother and be united to her husband? Well, to leave in the Bible has two meanings. This particular word used has two meaning, meanings. And one meaning is to forsake. To forsake or abandon. The other meaning which is what Paul, I believe, is referring to, is that the man leaves his parents to themselves. The word leave also means to leave behind or to leave to oneself. And so the first meaning, to to forsake or abandon, wouldn't make sense for the Apostle Paul because Paul elsewhere will say that it is the responsibility of family to take care of family. And so you don't utterly forsake family. But what Paul's saying here is when a man leaves father and mother, he builds a new relationship, a new life for himself with his wife. And the, the father, the, the man has rights over his wife, and the wife has rights over her husband. And this new life doesn't include parents. When a man leaves or lives in the home with his parents, he has responsibilities and duties that a son owes to his parents before he's married. Honor thy father and mother. When a man leaves his parents, there's a new adult relationship that develops with parents. There's a new relationship. I remember this when I was married for the first time. And we weren't church-going parent, uh, people <laughs> When, uh, when I was younger, growing up, in the way that I was trained to live life. And I remember my dad say, removing himself, knowing that I was now married to my wife, Carrie. And he then removed himself from that relationship. He gave us over and I left him to himself. I left my mom to herself knowing that a new relationship has formed. And it was very interesting to me that even my father, though not a church-going person, understood that. That creation mandate. The man and wife are more concerned with each other's opinions, thoughts, plans, pursuits, pains, struggles, The man's main primary concern is now his wife. That is leaving. That is leaving 
father and mother. Because there's a new primary relationship with his spouse. And vice versa. That said, this isn't a license for a, for a man or woman to utterly forsake his or her parents. Like every neighbor, we owe it to our parents to love them and care for them and honor them. And honor them. If you're taking notes, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 to 16 unpacks this more for us, which we don't have much time to go into this evening. But a man, may leave, man leaves father and mother physically and geographically, but may never leave father and mother. And this is a very good point that is brought out by Wayne Mack in his book, Strengthening Your Marriage. I brought this up a few weeks ago. A man may leave father and mother geographically and physically, but may never really leave father and mother. How? How? A man or woman may not have left their parents emotionally or psychologically. A married couple can live a thousand miles apart from their parents and their parents still have a hold over them. This is a reality. This happens. This happens. Perhaps one spouse, a newly married couple, and one of the spouses never really left because she's so emotionally tied to her, husband, or to her parents that she's looking for her parents' approval, affections, assistance, and other things rather than looking to her husband. Are you following me? It's more than just geographical. It's more than just physically leaving a home. You leave emotionally and psychologically. All your, 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 your emotions and, and, and who you are as a person is now geared towards your spouse. And you seek to make your spouse happy. You seek to please your spouse. Or perhaps it's a husband trying to change his wife for the sake of his parents. The parents have such a hold over the son still and won't accept the daughter-in-law until, until the daughter-in-law changes. And now it's the son's responsibility to change his wife. Leaving means leaving. It, being, it means having that new relationship with your parents, and it means being more concerned with your spouse's opinions, thoughts, plans, pursuits, pains, struggles, all of it. All of it. When you leave, you leave. 
First and foremost, your identity is in Jesus Christ. Second, your primary relationship, human relationship, is now with your spouse. Now with your spouse. The husband or the man shall leave father and mother. Secondly, the husband cleaves to his wife. The man cleaves to the woman. In the Ephesian culture and Roman Empire, Husbands weren't required to love their wives, but wives were required to submit to their husbands and produce offspring for them. Do your duty. Give me offspring. But we see in this this epistle and Paul's teaching on how a man loves his wife, how it's counter-cultural. It's more than producing offspring. It's cleaving, it's holding fast to your wife. This was the case even in the church, the Colossian church. Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This harshness, this harshness, this way in which man in that culture viewed their wife was not according to God's purpose for marriage. For when a man leaves father and mother, he cleaves to his wife now in a bond of love. He holds fast to her or binds together with with his wife. And the term here actually for cleave or to hold fast is actually a word used for gluing. You are glued together. Therefore, don't unglue each other. Don't break each other apart. You are glued together. So it has this idea of objects being bound up together and becoming one. I'm thankful that it has become much easier for the less than handy folks in the world like myself to put together flooring in the home. You go to the store and you see that you don't have to be very construction oriented or have it all together there to be a professional. You have what's called the tongue and groove. You just tongue and groove. I love it. It makes it easy for someone like me who can't do the the difficult thing around the house. Two durable planks of wood that come together and cleave to one another, becoming one. Marriage is a lifelong binding covenant between a man and a woman. It's a covenant made before God where husband and wife belong to one another. And the rights of the husband belong to the wife and vice versa. And when the husband loves his wife, he's doing so because he understands his calling. He understands what that mystery is in marriage that he has now cleaved, held fast to his wife. And so what does this mean practically? It means that you're making promises to love her, to cherish her, 
to care for her, protect her. And the wife promises to be faithful to her husband. Think about the vows you made in your marriage. Till death do you part. You promise to cleave together, to hold together. And each one is responsible for that. Each person in the marriage, husband and wife, each one, though they cleave together, each one is responsible. Furthermore, the blessing of the husband holding fast his wife involves the blessing and good gift of sexual intimacy. Sexual intimacy, a good thing in the context of marriage. When you leave and cleave and become one, you enter into that new relationship where sexual intimacy is now enjoyed the way that God intended it to be. But oh, does man make a mess of it. Man is very creative and sin is very deceitful. We have the propensity to make something beautiful and good and make it ugly. And sexual intimacy is one of those things. Men, listen carefully. Listen to me. The, the devil is crafty. And if you have in your mind that you think that you will never succumb to sexual temptation, we are naive to think that. Because each and every one of us has the propensity to fall. And that is why we need God's grace all the more. God, hold me fast to yourself. Help me to cleave to my wife and to have eyes for her alone. We are deceived the moment we think that it will never happen to us. The moment we think it will never happen to us, Satan is like, I got you now. I got you now. Let's, it's like that drip in the faucet. Boom. Or drip, drip, drip. And then now we're not keeping guard and all of a sudden We give in to the temptation, and then we ask, how did that happen? When a husband cleaves to his wife, he's, they're coming together, binding each other together. They're glued, glued to one another, and they hold fast. They hold fast. And this is why leaving and cleaving is a life long commitment when, when vows were made. When marriage goes through a rocky path, remember the vows that you made. When your marriage goes through a rocky path, remember, remember those vows in good times and in bad. Alistair Begg once told his congregation during a sermon, I think it was a sermon series on marriage, and a couple came to him and said, what was going on, and the couple said, yeah, things are really bad, and Alistair said, in the way that only Alistair can do, well, you signed up for bad. 
you signed up for bad. In good times and in bad. In fact, it's in the bad times that really men can we love our wives. Really, it's in the bad times, wives, we really pushed inside to learn how to submit to your husband. Hold fast, cleave to your wife. Let no man, person separate that which was glued together. That's my paraphrase. Let no one separate that which was glued together. Don't allow the devil to get a foothold in your marriage, for he seeks to undo or demolish the beautiful union of husband and wife. Leave, cleave, now become one flesh. The husband and wife become one flesh. One flesh doesn't mean that the wife embraces everything that the husband embraces in terms of giftedness and abilities. In fact, let's go back to that illustration of the tongue and groove. You have two planks that come together and you look at it and it looks like one. They became one. But what is interesting about the two planks, though they're one, they have different color patterns, different grain patterns, different color of grain. In the marriage, when the two become one flesh, they are one, they are united, but there is diversity in gifts. There is diversity in gifts. Just like the human body is one with different members, so the married couple, husband and wife, are one but different gifts. And we use those gifts, that oneness, to bless each other, to love each other, to fulfill God's call for our lives as husband and wife. But there's even more of a profound thing going on here isn't there? And, and Paul talks about that. He says at verse 32, this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's that profound mystery of Christ and, and the church and we, we heard sermons on that a few weeks ago. In the ministry, I try, I've tried to grasp what this means of this one flesh, this mystery. In the context of Christian marriages. And I think, as I've reflected upon this, one of the things that serves as an example of this one flesh mystery within a marriage has been this. It may sound strange. But listen to me. It becomes more pronounced when someone loses a spouse. If you ask a widow or a widower how they felt and how they may feel now about losing a spouse, more often than not, you'll hear this. I felt like a part of me was taken from me. 
I feel like half of me was gone. Marriages for 50, 60 years. And a spouse dies. In God's timing and providence. And yet the one who remains feels that loss. That that part of him or her that is missing. Perhaps you have another illustration of what or how profound this one flesh is. This one flesh is, is, is even seen in a couple that's been divorced. And the pain and hurt that comes along with divorce. Particularly a man or a woman who wants to reconcile and see the marriage go through. And work and see healing and restoration. And yet the spouse leaves him or her. And there's that emptiness, that feeling of void That lack of presence. There is a profound mystery in marriage. And that's why when we have a marriage ceremony and we go through the reading of the form, the intention of marriage, one of the things that is said that I say from the form is that those who desire marriage ought to get counsel. And not enter into marriage carelessly. But give it serious thought and prayer. In other words, know what you're getting yourself into. Know what's happening. But even more profound is the profound reality of this points to Christ and the bride, the church. In obedience to the Father, the Son came into the world and holds fast to his bride whom he purchased with his blood and loves so dearly and will never leave nor forsake. You know why there's the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery? Because it reflects the character of a holy God who is faithful always. And therefore you, husband and wife, be faithful He unites himself to his bride where they become bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Even in the Lord's Supper, we see this profound mystery, don't we? When we become so united to Christ by faith, symbolically we become bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. When the church eats of the bread and drinks of the cup, the church becomes more united To her Lord. Here are some practical warnings. We are called to leave, cleave, become one flesh. That's what happens when there's a marriage union. But what are some practical warnings that we need to be aware of? What prevents a marriage couple from maintaining true unity? What seeks to destroy that oneness in marriage? And it's a few things. 
We can put a general label and call it sin, but let's get specific. How about the sin of pride? How about the sin of pride? How about the sin of selfishness? The sins of pride and selfishness. What about the sin of bitterness and resentment? Holding sins against your spouse, even those the, the, the spouse has repented and sought your forgiveness. But you say, yeah, I forgive you, but you always bring it back up. You always revisit it. You set your spouse up for failure. And you hold resentment in your hearts. How about the sin of favoritism? The sin of ingratitude. Lord, thank you for my wife. Thank you, Lord, for my husband. How about the sin of discontentment? They have a bad marriage, or though they have a good marriage, I have a bad marriage. I'm, that's it. I'm throwing in the towel. I'm discontent, Lord. I'm discontent with him. I'm discontent with her. How about learning contentment? Learning how to be content with God's call in your life. And see, all these sins have to be understood in light of the gospel. And congregation, thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ who breaks down barriers and brings healing and reconciliation. But it takes both parties. It takes husband and wife to come to the table, so to speak, and seek reconciliation, to seek healing. While there's still life and breath, it's never too late to be reconciled to God and spouse. And so I ask you, do you need to be humbled by God? Do you need to humble yourself before God? Do you need to see your contributions to the difficulties in your marriage, perhaps, if you are struggling? Do you need to take the log out of your own eyes before you take the speck out of your spouse's eyes? We need to humbly draw near to Jesus and plead his shed blood to receive mercy and be reconciled only through the gospel, the gospel, do we find that healing where we find marriage to live at its fullest when we leave, cleave, and become one flesh following God's design for marriage and where we fall and fail, we plead nothing but the blood of Jesus, we turn to Christ. Colossians 3, Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He's speaking to the church, but this certainly applies to husband and wife. Your most closest neighbor... <laughs> If your marriage suffers, if your marriage is suffering, what are you doing about it? 
Are you seeking godly Christian counsel? Are you seeking pastoral counsel? Or are you just living together? You you really haven't left. You really haven't held fast to your wife. You really haven't felt like you become one flesh. You feel divided. Friends, if you were injured or sick physically, what would you do? You'd go to the doctor, wouldn't you? The doctor examines you, discerns a diagnosis, and then he prescribes something for you. When you're spiritually sick, when your marriage is sick, when it's hurting, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? Husband, what are you doing about it? Wife, what are you doing about it? Don't wait until the hurt and illness prolongs and sometimes becomes irreconcilable or irreparable. We need to learn to keep Christ and his word central, to practice love and forgive one another as God and Christ forgave us. For this is God's will for your marriage and my marriage. Let no man tear asunder the oneness or one flesh that the two of you became in your marriage union. And I want to conclude with a final word to single Christians, to those of you who are single. Does leaving, cleaving, and becoming one flesh apply only to husband and wife? Well, yes, that mystery, that profound mystery applies to husband and wife. That said, that said, Paul says to the Corinthians that it is good to be single. That it's not a sin to be single. It's not inferior to be single. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul provides principles for marriage. And in that context, he says that it is good to, have, to live a life of singleness as he was. Some may be called to singleness. Some may be married later on in life. But when you are single, you are called by God to serve and give wholehearted devotion to Jesus. Because he says the married life has anxieties of this world. You have to care for husband or wife. But when you're single, you give all your attention to Jesus. All your attention could be devoted to the Lord in whatever vocation you are called to. When I was a young Christian, there was a lady who was a nurse in Kenya. And she was one of the first missionaries that I met as a Christian. And because of her presentations and other missionary presentations, I had a strong desire to go into missions. But I was always amazed how she was willing to go into the field as a young woman to be a missionary among the Kenyan people. She was a nurse. And she served Jesus there. She was a Christian who was single and devoted her life to her King and Lord. She was married to Jesus. Whether married or single, we are called to be devoted to Jesus. We are called to be devoted to Jesus. But for the married couple... 
there is a new relationship between husband and wife when the man leaves father and mother, cleaves to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the gospel of grace. All these sins that were listed, the sin of pride, the sin of resentment, bitterness, ingratitude, discontent, All these sins, Lord, we are susceptible of in our marriage. Perhaps some of us are crying out for help because the home is a mess. Perhaps there are Husbands and wives watching via live stream whose home is a mess. Perhaps, O oh Lord, there's husband and wife here whose home is broken. O oh Lord God, we pray that you would bring about reconciliation, that you would pour your grace upon the families who are hurting and struggling, and that they may know the healing mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And through the gospel, be reconciled to one another and move forward in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, taking it day by day, trusting in you, finding strength in you, and learning once again what it means to leave, cleave, and become one flesh. Following your will for their lives in their marriage. I pray for those who have experienced divorce and, and the heartache and hurt that comes along with that. And they find your peace and know your peace. Father in heaven, we pray for those who are single. That they know that you love them and care for them and that your will for their lives in this day is for their good and for your glory. We do not know your plan for their lives. For some you may call to singleness, some you may call to marriage. But whatever the case may be, they, may they find contentment in their singleness, knowing that they can give wholehearted devotion to their Lord and Savior, Jesus. Oh, Father, bless your people here. Enable us to walk in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.